and welcome to another episode of Bitcoin in Asia from Bitcoin Magazine. I'm John Riggins, and our guest this week is Sierra Sun, head of global business and markets at Huobi Group. Sierra joined Huobi in 2019, first focusing on growth of its institutional business, and in her role now, overseeing growth and product strategy around the world, she gives a great look into what goes into running and growing a global Bitcoin company with a diverse range of products, and one that is continuously rolling out new products in very cutthroat markets, including rollups this year in the future space, the mining pool space, and more. It was interesting to get a look under the hood at how Hobie operates and how they plan expansion and navigate regulation around the world and how Sierra is thinking about global trends, uh, current trends and the future. Support for this podcast comes from Paxful. At Paxful, they believe that Bitcoin is more than just a digital currency. It's a new way of life that's going to completely disrupt the global financial system. Paxful is a people-powered marketplace for money transfers with anyone, anywhere at any time. Using over 300 different payment methods, you can buy and sell Bitcoin using bank transfers, cash and even gift cards. Borderless transactions, the ability to start a business, and opportunities for social good, Paxful is set to change the world. Create an account today and get your free Bitcoin wallet and begin trading right away. You'll never look at your money the same way again. Also brought to you by Bitcoin Black Friday. Bitcoin Black Friday is back, and the focus is on building the Bitcoin circular economy. The Black Friday staple since 2012 will feature deals on must-have Bitcoin products, the best discounts of the year from Bitcoin accepting merchants, and ample opportunities to stack sats. If you're a Bitcoin accepting merchant, go to BitcoinBlackFriday.com to list a Black Friday deal. And if you want to take advantage of the discounts and SAT stacking opportunities, sign up for email updates. BitcoinBlackFriday.com, November 27th. Hope you enjoy this conversation with Ciara. Sarah, good to talk to you. Welcome to the show. Hi. Hello. Hello, everybody. <laughs> hello, hello. Uh, for this, I think everyone knows Huobi, but maybe for those who aren't quite familiar with their story, can you kind of start with a little background on yourself, uh, how you got into the position you're in now? Yeah, sure. So um, I did my undergrad in the States. We was in Vienna University in, uh, in uh, finance and accounting, and then I joined Arsenio and doing like transactional service, taxation, and then got my MBA in financial analysis, and then joined Boston Consulting Group doing management consulting for um, financial services offices. So I spent years advising banking capital market groups for major banks, hedge funds, PE firms, and investment corporations. Um, so, you know, traditional finance services is an industry I understand well, but because I understood the space, I knew there were limitations. So traditional finance, the rooted in very old practices and biases, some of which may have created a financial ecosystem that isn't always inclusive. So there are a lot of, you know, inefficiency and challenges that exist in traditional finance. So when I, you know, got to know about blockchain and crypto, it just really fascinating. So I eventually decided to take um, the move and joined crypto space. So having worked with some of the top financial institutions before, I just really wanted to join a company that not only had the vision and the ability, ability to innovate the finance industry, but also, you know, the infrastructure to scale globally, like the companies I worked before. So, you know, Hobi as a company that's been around for, you know, many years, um, you know, recently we just have, our, we just had our seventh um, birthday. It's right. kind of like ancient already in blockchain and with the company, yeah, that's, um, you know, with 1600 people, I felt like, you know, that should be the right uh, move for my career. So, yeah, so I joined Hobi and um, worked as a vice president, um, head of uh, 
business development and global markets, and also manage uh, institutional business. Awesome. And so seven years. And uh, so 2020, can you kind of give a brief overview of uh, the whole business now, geographically where it operates and some of the business lines, um, I guess, overall, but then I guess also what, what kind of you're over there? Yeah. So Hobi has been growing as an organization at a very rapid pace. And we're just now, you know, as I said before, celebrating our seventh anniversary and not only have us um, expanded into dozens of markets and with more than 15 million users right now in about 200 and, uh, 220 different countries. We're proud to say that we haven't had any you know, major security incidents since the company's inception. So both our spot exchange and derivatives exchange top the market in terms of you know, liquidity, um, market apps, compliance, security, and also fund, and, uh, fund under management. So all of these key factors that define a safe and sustainable trading environment. And we operate localized and regulated exchange all over the world, both directly and through trusted uh, local partners like joint venture exchanges through Corby Cloud. And we operate in full compliance with all of these necessary licenses for each jurisdiction, such as such as uh, Hobi Japan, where we have the FSA license and Thailand, Gibraltar, and so, so on. So most people probably know Hobi as a global crypto exchange, but that's actually just one business unit within the parent company, Hobi Group. And Hobi Group consists of um, over 18 individual um, entities and uh, business unit that each provides its own crypto or blockchain related products or services. So Hobi Global is our, um, you know, our main spot exchange. It's one example of an entity that allows into the larger uh, Hobi Group entity. And um, also include, you know, Hobi Futures. Um, it's recently branded last year. And our derivatives, that's our derivatives exchange. And Hobi Pool, our mining pool, Cloud, as I said before, is a cloud services platform where we have joint venture exchanges with, with local partners. And Hobi wallet which we are recently upgrading it you know to to better um to be a better entry point for DeFi users and much more so today we are a global company with products and services in many different markets like i said before you know thailand russia argentina um turkey japan south korea uk and much much more a big part of driving crypto adoption is making it more accessible to all types of users across different markets. So we take a product-driven approach to empower users on our platform. As of today, um, Hobi ranks first uh, among topic changes regarding aggregate funds deposited. And so um, also you can also say you know is is uh, as an under management. So according to a popular data provider, BitUniverse. So user capital deposit on Hobi recorded at 5.73 billion US dollars. It, it recount, accounts for over 5% of the entire digital asset market cap. So nothing that it's, that, nothing that, it, that it, this is only our users' assets, you know, it's, it doesn't count uh, assets that Hobi Group itself owns. And the deposit of funds is the, you know, least, uh, fossible and it's the most meaningful indicator because you know exchange is not a, like a wallet people deposit it into your exchange only for trading not like you know uh, trading volume it's just if a I think it's a factor that can be manipulated sometimes because <laughs> if you just bit. give zero fee accounts well if you give zero fee accounts to high frequency trader you can get as many 
volume as you've got. That's probably sure. the reason, uh, you know, like CMC or, or CoinMarketCap, they started to rank exchanges by different metrics, not just, um, you know, trading volume. Because you see, uh, if you just see trading volume rankings, you see Hobi or like Coinbase or, or Binance, those large exchanges actually rank like really low, like maybe 200 and stuff. And you see names that you've never heard of. So, so that's, um, but like, you know, like funds deposited, it's just something that you can't fake. So Hobi has a global appearance and um, has opened a dozen fiat gateways. Uh, right now, um, we we just recently had a U.S. dollars. That's really that's uh that we've got really yeah a dozen different fiat gateways and licenses, including Gibraltar, Thailand, Japan, and uh, we recently you know in Q4 we'll uh, we'll we'll cooperate with more third parties to open additional fiat gateways to make our services more accessible to our users worldwide. And at the moment, we're working with Simplex, is a payment solution provider to allow users to purchase crypto with fiat. So we just found, you know, this is a very interesting function to have where you have users coming into traditional, from traditional market into crypto. The first thing they would want to know is how do I buy crypto with my, you know, fiat currency? So that's why we've been working on this and putting in a lot of resources, energies to build a fiat gateway um, across the world to, to enable new users into crypto to, to provide them with the seamless trading experiences. So Hobi will announce three more payment solution partners in the following months um, to expand our channels to allow users worldwide to purchase crypto with their local fiat currency and experience more professional financial services at Hobi. And we also offer a wide range of products and services to cater to all kinds of users. Um, so from, you know, stable saving products with seasonal interest rates to lending products, derivative trading, like um, perpetual swaps that we launched in, in March. And also we launched uh, our options trading in September. And we're also launching our USDT margin perpetual swap um, this actually next, yeah, next month in October. So we're just trying to offer a full set of, um, of trading, um, you know, related and crypto related um, um, products to all of our users worldwide. All right, a lot of stuff there. So you'll, you'll have your hands in, in pretty much all the buckets. Um, yeah. Interesting stats there on user deposits um, and the fiat gateways that you have around the world. So as head of global business development, uh, you know, managing all of this, keeping it all in your mind is, is uh, you know, a task. And then just setting the strategy and implementation of all these priorities around the world. Um, you know, it's a lot to, lots to be over. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how you think about that priority set um, maybe product-wise and geographically, kind of how you're thinking about it uh, right now in 2020? Yeah. So, you know, as vice president for global markets, my role is really cross-functional. I work across many different business units with one key objective to expand Hobie's reach internationally, which, you know, includes new products, market um, penetration, strategic partnerships, branding, marketing, and many other functions. And I lead several teams specifically to focused on international markets. And we, as we mentioned before, is a sizable organization with more than 1,600 employees. So, the corporate structure will require more in-depth conversation to understand what I'm happy with, you know, to share a more, you know, high-level overview here with the audience. As mentioned previously, Hobi isn't just exchange. So there are many entities and business units that roll up into Hobi ecosystem. Well, there are a lot of layers to Hobi. Our structure is, isn't as, you know, rigid as 
a um, legacy organization. So cross-department collaboration is pretty, pretty high, and we're all working toward a similar goal. And our latest vision is to empower, empower 100 million households worldwide to own cryptocurrency. So this kind of structure and our diverse ecosystem products and services lends well to our ambitious goal. So when we enter new markets and launch new products, we first um, you know, look to gain a strong understanding of the regulation um, landscape. You know, as we said before, every country we go to, we're trying to be fully compliant to offer that kind of, you know, safety feeling to all of the users that we're, uh, we're approaching to. So as a company, we, pro we, we provide ourselves on um, providing a safe and secure environment for our users. So compliance is just one of our top um, priorities and also safety. So it doesn't matter if the market size is large, if we can safely offer our services to users. So we prioritize the markets where we can receive the proper licenses and approvals to operate legally. Um, so that's why we've been working, um, you know, putting in lots of resources into Japan where they, they were issuing the, the licenses. And that's how we became one of the first bunch of exchanges that got the license um, in Japan. And where Hubi token HT is now a fully regulated token in Japan where you know Japanese customers can now buy HT with their fiat um, in Japanese yen. And another factor we look at is impact. So how much impact will we have on the local market? For example, there are many parts of the world where people are still you know embanked or living in, in a very volatile eco uh, economy system, um, especially in regions where you know turnal um turnover crisis um currency devaluation risk and we mm -hmm. want to identify and reach users where access to digital assets will make a meaningful change to their lives. So typically this is um, in emerging markets with economies that are still developing. Um, so take Turkey as an example. Turkey is a great market for cryptocurrency because you know their fiat currency is really, really volatile. And that's why, you know, um, um, just citizens there in, in Turkey, they seek for um, other type of investment opportunities for them to, to uh, in their portfolio, so that they, they feel like they can, you know, um, they can fight with, with the volatility in their, in their local currency. So um, we, we took a few trips to Turkey and we saw that and we saw the needs and that's why we, we, we decided to do Hobby Turkey and opened uh, bank accounts and setting up the fiat gateway and make it all, you know, um, um, throughout product so that users can now access to crypto easily in Turkey. And beyond that, we, we um, prioritize our product launches based on a combination of market opportunity and timing. So as you know, this industry changes fast. So we need to make sure that we sure. can test, launch, and you know, in integrate our products at a pace that allows us to adapt to the evolving needs of our, our users. All right. I think I remember y'all doing a big conference in Turkey uh, right before this, the pandemic stuff. Uh, that, were you there for that? Yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I um, was there. <laughs> I was under you. Uh, all right, cool. So uh, you kind of touched on uh, specifically the, the um, uh, licensing in, in Japan piece. Any other thoughts on kind of uh, regulatory structure around the world, what you're seeing um, kind of trends wise and, and how you're handling, I guess, uh, the differences? Yeah, so when it comes to licenses, every country have different, you know, natures and 
and um, different roles. So which is partly because it can involve a, a host of different agencies and regulatory bodies. So more often than not, there is yearly involvement by local SEC as well as other financial agencies that, that oversees the process. They all have you know, varying levels of due diligence and requirements. So it's not as simple as classifying the process you know, between um, markets, say like the East versus the West. Um, one thing that's common is that all regulators look to access and exchange security, liquidity, and uh, track record as a starting point. So it's incredibly important for them um, to know that exchange in question have enough market apps to provide liquidity. Um, and also that exchange is not easily hacked or manipulated. Um, so there are areas of strength would be so we don't typically encounter any issues here and many countries place a limit on the number of licenses issued within a given time of period so um and that's why like i said in japan we just went there and we started very early and that's how we were able to become the first bunch of exchanges who got that and another good example is the bit license in new york um so we also see some biases towards uh, the you know, domestic changes. So it adds to the complexity of the license process. But we, what we do see is that crypto adoption is accelerating at a rapid pace and more nations, states and regulators throughout the world are embracing digital assets as a necessary and legitimate asset class within the broader financial ecosystem. You know, uh, crypto has become much less taboo than it was years ago. Um, you know, in, in 2016, 2017. So uh, I still take Japan as an example. It took the country years to clearly define its crypto asset regulations. And they're known to have, you know, one of the most strict requirements for crypto exchanges and assets. But uh, much process has been made last year and this year. Just this past May, Japan's uh, FSA, their regulation agency, um, now oversees crypto assets, has enacted new regulations to further legitimize um, compliant crypto exchange and assets. So that's how you know uh, we've been operating the localized ex exchange will be Japan and now is licensed since 2018 and will continue to work with regulators to ensure the full compliance with local requirements. And um, there is a common misconception among newer retail investors that regulation is bad, but it's actually quite the opposite. We know that you know, regulation, we guide, when guided the right way, can help drive crypto adoption and create a safer eco, um, ecosystem for users. It's, it's very um, important for traditional institutions to, to see that it's regulated and it's safe. They know that the government behind it is it's, it's, you know, backing their, their, their assets. And this is why we choose to work closely with regulators in every market we enter. We also know that in order for crypto market to expand, we need the buy-in of institutional investors and traders typically means you're know, ensuring they have a fully regulated trading environment as they have you know, more, more strict compliance requirement than retired users. Um, so that's just very important. And as we see that you know, regulations and compliance have been evolving so much from last year and this year, it just it kind of shows on the data of institutional trading volume as well. So before um, before 
the begin beginning of 2019, we saw this trend and this 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 just opportunity that institutions of traditional markets are entering into the place. So we decided to set this new business unit called Institutional BU at Huobi, and we recruit a group of you know traditional financial um, experts. Um, for with years of and tens and years of um, experiences in the traditional finance um, industry, so that they can tailor the products and provide um, you know professional services to those um, institutional investors. And you know, in the beginning of 2019, institutional trading volume was only about 17% of uh, Hobby Global, and now is about 50% of Hobby Global's trading volume. That's that's just how much it has grown. Yeah. Can, can you define institutional a little bit there? Is that, uh, it includes like crypto hedge funds and more traditional funds. How do you, how do you define that uh, when you're tracking those stats? Yeah. Um, so on Huobi institutional investor means that they open up the accounts um, under institutions. So it's not retail and uh, we don't, we don't define, we don't divide, um, you know, whether it's a crypto fund or it, it from traditional, because a lot of the crypto funds still is funded by traditional traders. Sure. Cool. Uh, yeah. Good stuff. Um, good overview. And then uh, I guess you've, you've kind of touched on, uh, you know, why you're in Japan early, kind of the strategy around that. Um, you touched on Turkey. What other, how, how else are you thinking kind of geographically about will be expansion, um, maybe markets that, uh, you know, you're, you could be weekend right now and you're trying to grow the biggest opportunities that you see kind of lay that out, how you're thinking about uh, geographic expansion still, uh, even though you're already in 210 countries. <laughs> Yeah. So for reasons uh, studied earlier, like our desire to have an impact in the market we enter, we see a lot of opportunity in emerging markets. That doesn't mean that we're not also focusing on larger markets in the West, but just um, that emerging markets are a more you know immediate priority for the business. So impact aside, another reason we're we're bullish on emerging market is because it puts us in a um, strategic position to grow with the market. If we can enter a market early enough we're confident that we'll, we'll see you know um just uh, explosive growth as the local market matures over the next 5 10 you know, 15 years this is a long-term strategy for Huobi, and we also see opportunity to become a fundamental part of the financial ecosystem of these markets because you know they don't have the most robust financial infrastructure and we have the opportunity to help define their future economy and one in which you know digital assets play a, a central role and um i'd i'd like it to the adoption of you know the the, the internet but is is a lot like the emerging market that skipped desktop and went straight into mobile just like how these nations became you know mobile first and we're trying to um, trying to see the markets that we believe have the potential to embrace digital first currencies. Yeah, for sure. Emerging markets. Um, any, uh, I guess, any more color on kind of geographic market wise, uh, kind of nuances you see between countries, emerging markets versus uh, kind of the West, as you mentioned, any other color on that kind of customer uh, differences? Yeah, so um, again, taking less about um, geographically and more about the market stage, we see slightly higher demand for speculative um, products like crypto derivatives in more developed markets. Mm -hmm. So these users are looking for ways to create arbitrage and hedge risks 
much more actively, and they like um, they likely have had more exposure to other investment products and and um, financial services, and they're just more educated that way. So they're a bit more um, you know more um, like a, a a a trader, and they're. Uh, motivated by gains and love products like our perpetual swaps, Bitcoin option futures. So on the other hand, users in emerging markets have less experiences with financial products and many are unbanked, meaning that they may not even maintain a traditional bank account. So these users are especially interested in products like our crypto saving account, which just lets them earn stable interest with little risk, just a few clicks, and they don't even have to, you know, learn how comprehensive the system is, and they, they just they just um, have the option to to um, easily enter enter into cryptocurrency, and they also play the market, um, so not as aggressively as um you know the others in, in more in more developed markets yeah makes sense cool cool um and then uh so you start out with kind of an institutional focus i think it will be um institutional role um and you you, you talked a little bit earlier about kind of the, some of the growth you've seen in terms of the percentage of um volume that will be uh from 2019 to now uh, like you mentioned 50% now. Uh, can you talk a little bit more how you have kind of continued to focus on that institutional customer segment um, and kind of the ways that you're attacking it? You know, you mentioned uh, rolling out these derivatives products, maybe expand a little bit on kind of Hobie's institutional focus. Yeah. So institutional investors are most concerned with security, liquidity, product diversity. So we're already well positioned to capture an increasing share of the market as more institutional coming into the crypto market. So one of the ways in which we are catered to institutional markets by launching more trading products like perpetual swaps, um, like Bitcoin options on derivative exchange will be futures because institutional traders are more experienced than retail traders and they look for a variety of trading products to create arbitrage. So this has helped us to gain more attraction with that customer segment. So for example, we only recently launched our own perpetual swap product in, in March, but it has been a instant success keeping up with and sometimes outperforming bmax one of the you know leaders in this space and uh, in first full quarter hobby's perpetual swap trading volume came at about 21 billion in april but rocket topped to 79.5 billion in the next month falling just you know short of bmax trading volume then in june we overtook bmax with a total of um, 50.2 billion us dollars and institutional trading volume on hobi has grown 60 percent compared to 2019 and now accounts for you know like we said before about 50 percent of the total trading volume and i think the reason behind it is first the products and secondly is our services all right, yeah. Uh, any other thoughts on uh, kind of trends you're seeing across those products? Very interesting on the, the uh, institutional side. Um, any other trends you're seeing kind of across products as we kind of enter what everyone's saying is this next bull run here? Yeah, so talking about trends, we, we just can't avoid DeFi. With the recent DeFi craze, <laughs> users are diversifying their portfolios with newer tokens and Bitcoin and Ethereum will account for a significant share of crypto trading volume. But there has been more altcoins activity in recent months. We're also seeing more demand for DeFi exposure. So in, in response, we've added a uh, wider variety of you know, highly debated digital assets and investing into building the digital asset ecosystem. So for example, 
Wobi has um, different listing channels, and we have been really careful in selecting the right assets through the right channel. And in August, Wobi Global launched a new token listing pathway. It's called Wobi Inno Hub. It's it means that we 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 see products that has high potential, but also you know high potential, high opportunity with high risks. So we want to be able to educate our our users. We see the needs, trading needs from the community and want to list those tokens. But, you know, because DeFi is still early and we don't know how it's going to go, like just like the ICO, you know, crazy in 2017, we want to be able to uh, warn our users, but still offer them these chances to trade those tokens. And DeFi tokens like Wi-Fi and Wi-Fi 2 were the first tokens to land in the uh, Hobby, um, you know, hub. And um, the DeFi mining is a very interesting topic for 2020. DeFi is developing as, as a rapid space with you know, dramatic changes as a type of new layouts in digital finance. And many expect DeFi to become the fundamental of a worldwide open finance system and to give birth to a number of great um, products and, and um, with this just huge wealth opportunities. So we also started a DeFi liquidity campaign um, Hobby Global has kicked off with um, five million US dollar worth of blockchain assets for DeFi uh, liquidity mining, and more rounds will be held um, uh, with a total of ten million US dollar worth of blockchain assets. And rewards generated from DeFi liquidity mining will be distributed to all participate um, um, users who stake um, HT and uh, HPT is our our Hobby Pool token. We're also seeing, you know institutional investors get much more serious about compliance regulation. That's another trend, both in the mm -hmm. assets they trade and the platform in which they trade on. So part of this is driven by the entrance of traditional institutions that have more you know, strict requirements for where and worth, uh, what they trade. So it's also due to the fact that digital assets becoming more you know, just per, um, permanent in every market. So regulators have stepping up to their efforts to classify and regulating digital assets. For sure, good stuff there. DeFi certainly uh, the the trend of of today. It's been funny to see how some of the, some of the uh, uh, you know kind of DeFi products uh, have life cycles of you know a week to twenty four hours. It's been kind of wild to see the turn turnover on those. Um, <laughs> and then yeah. uh, kind of the thanks for all that that uh, kind of color on how you all think about um, kind of uh, different global markets and and uh, kind of gold business strategy at Huobi, um, kind of on the competitive landscape of, uh, you know, y'all sit in a pretty competitive field here, um, exchanges kind of being, um, you know, what you started with, but now you kind of play in a, a bunch of different buckets, as mentioned. Um, can you talk about how kind of y'all think about the competition? Um, maybe first on kind of the exchange side. So, you know, there are a ton of uh, kind of uh, native exchanges, Huobi being one of the first in China, obviously. Um, how do you think about kind of that set of competitors versus uh, legacy finance and, and like the next 10 years of that, I guess. Talk a little bit about how you think about it. Yeah, so there are many digital assets exchanges on the market, but not many can really compete with us on the fundamentals like security, reliability and compliance. So these are really the three key points of our exchange that we believe makes will be a far better option than you know, many of the other exchanges out there. For
for example, despite heavy you know concurrent trading volume on several you know like occasions recently our exchange have been able to provide um uninterrupting services while you know other exchanges faced that out um, out 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 ages this is because we spend a lot of time and resources to improving our our, our back end of the platform to ensure that we can provide a very reliable trading experiences so we're very um, proud that our change hasn't expen uh, experienced any major hack um, or or just the system downtime and kept it right during extreme <laughs> during extremely volatile moments uh, when there are a large number of uh, concurrent users. We've been able to maintain the uptime unlike you know, some of the other exchanges because we've invested heavily into our backend infrastructure. With the 1,600 people, um, our, our chief security officer managed more than 200 people. And um, there are 600 to 700 tech people that's been working you know, 24 seven um, on, on different, um, different uh, time zone to, to ensure that our system can always run safe and secure. And in the seven years of, of, of the time that we are, we've been around, we've never been affected by a major security breach. So that's, that's the plan we keep, we want to keep it that way. And uh, because, you know, if it doesn't really matter how, how well your business model is, or it doesn't really matter how much money you make, if you just lose thousands of Bitcoin every year is not sustainable. And it's, it's, it's really frustrated. Uh, it's really frustrating to your users and i don't i don't think those exchanges can be trusted whatsoever and even as we see record trading volume and user activity will continue to prioritize our user safety and um, like we said we have you know six seven hundred in-house developer to maintain a network to ensure user safety and without naming anyone there are competitor there are competitors who deploy you know questionable user acquisition techniques and operate in in, in gray areas uh, as as it relates to regulations but we don't believe that's sustainable long term first and foremost we view ourselves as a financial organization so we don't take compliance lightly we're building for you know 10 years 20 years 100 years into the future and we are making sure we do everything in the right way even if that means that it takes us a little longer to enter into a market or offer new services the same can be said um, about some of the other exchanges though and because right. crypto is still a, a yeah, it's a very new and uh, very young industry with so much opportunity for growth. We, we for growth, we actually see legacy finance as the bigger competitor. Many mm -hmm. traditional financial institutions have for you know too long held the advantage over their customers because of the high barriers to en enter. Uh, but digital assets are completely you know transforming the concept of money, and people no longer have to you know, be hold into larger financial institutions or government-backed fiat currencies. There is a revolution starting and we see ourselves at the forefront of the new digital economy. All right, the revolution. Uh, yeah. I agree with you on all that, so good stuff. Um, the, uh, back to maybe some of your kind of internal processes a little bit as you, as you take part in this revolution. Uh, so I think especially kind of recently, we'll be set a history of uh, launching products into competitive uh, fields um, and having pretty quick success. You mentioned, you mentioned the perpetual swap um, kind of volumes that you all have seen. Uh, the mining pool comes to mind. 
Um, can you talk a little bit, a bit about how uh, kind of operationally you attack those kind of new segments um, and how kind of behind the scenes uh, that success actually happens? Yeah, so uh, one thing that we're really proud is, uh, you know, the diversity of products we offer, which aims to make crypto more accessible to all levels of users. So from first time traders to experienced institutional investors, part of what makes this possible is the way in which our organization operates. And like many other um, crypto companies, well built much more like a traditional financial institution with set processes to ensure regulatory compliance and the highest level of security. And accountability is important to us. So everything gets documented properly and we undergo reg regular audits across different departments. And however, when it comes to product we operate much more like a startup. We are a 1600 people organization, but we work in like a, a lean and um, a very young and fast changing environment and welcomes new ideas and encourage you know, collaboration and uh, it's 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 like the same with our our management team. We we always set our strategy together. It's not like you know our founder Leon just make up the call and say, hey, we're gonna do that this way. Uh, every time we we make uh, new strategies, uh, company-wide strategies. We always sit down, you know, all of our management team, and we 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 make it together, and we take um, ideas from different people very seriously. And we can take a product idea, um, you know, from idea to launch in a in a much shorter time than many of our competitors. So, which means that we're able to respond quicker to market changes and user demand. And ideas for new products can came from anywhere. Like, you know, like our users, we always listen to our community. We run survey uh, all the time. We're always in the community. Like me personally, I'm always on Twitter, uh, <laughs> almost too talkative. And uh, in Telegram groups, you know, always talking to our users, even, you know, when we take caps, when we talk about digital currency and their Kobe users, I'll, I'll talk to them. Um, team members, ecosystem, partners, and we move fast once we're, we've successfully sold the idea internally. So from here, we conduct quite a bit of market research determining you know, the possibility of a product with, which includes user survey, market analysis, you know, legal diligence, and much more. So for example, we recently launched a crypto saving product that allows users to earn interest on their crypto um, holdings. So interest is paid out daily to users' crypto saving accounts with support for real-time settlements. The initial idea was first accessed through a survey of nearly 500 users to better understand their needs and, and wants. So what we found is that most crypto holders are looking for interest-bearing interest in um, investment vehicles to, to park their assets. So we knew crypto savings was the right approach and the foundings informed many of our, our decisions um, as we developed the product. So taking a product to market can vary depending on what it is. But in this case, it was very straightforward since we extended this to our existing trading community of millions of users. And we found that this product is particularly appealing to first time and new, just newbies to, to crypto users. And as, a, as a, a good point into trading, so it fits nicely with Swoopy's ecosystem. And the product is currently in pu public data, but we're, you know, labeling signups so we can closely monitor it and ensure it delivers on our users' expectations before we open up to everyone. But this is our test learn and, uh, you know, iterate uh, approach to new product launches. 
And we've also been quite successful with these new products because we've built a diverse ecosystem of key business units like Hobby Global, for spot markets, futures or derivatives market, Hobby Pool for mining, wallet for, for user-facing wallet and much more. And our business units cover um, just about every blockchain and crypto sector imaginable. So in China, we where we have Hobby China it offers blockchain um, um, solutions and technology supporting and consulting to blockchain related business. So there are just lots of synergy we can leverage when we introduce new products. Yeah, and uh, thanks for kind of going specifically into that uh, settings product. Uh, interesting to hear. Um, how, how big is that? You mentioned kind of the brain trust that's sitting around and uh, discussing things before new initiatives get launched. How big is that kind of group of people in that room at Wobi? How big is that kind of management team, I guess, in, of, as a part of that 1600 uh, total? Yeah, it depends on what type of things that we talk about. But usually it's like 10 to 15 people, sometimes go up to like 30, 35. Cool. Yeah, and um, you know our our management uh, quarterly meetings and monthly meetings will be uh, more than that. Yeah, cool. And uh, you know you, you are active on Twitter and Telegram. Uh, I think your cat is pretty famous on Twitter too. How's, how's the cat? Is, uh... <laughs> yeah, they're well. lovely. Yeah, I have. Yeah, I, I just crazy <laughs> about cats. <laughs> All right, good deal. Uh, um, some, kind of another. I don't know if it's a trend yet, but something that we've seen a little bit of is. Um, kind of some of these information services companies, data providers, uh, uh, coin market cap, Blockfolio. We've seen some crypto exchanges make uh, acquisitions in, on that front. Um, just wondering how y'all will be kind of thinking about uh, kind of those data plays, um, how you think about those acquisitions and I guess just, just M&A in the information space, I guess, as an exchange and for Holby specifically. Um, yeah, so I think as private organizations, exchanges are entitled to acquire whoever, you know, they see fit. There are many motivators behind acquisitions, so we don't hold any particular things on, you know, what's, uh, what is a good or a, a bad acquisition for the industry. Mm -hmm. Ethics are only, are only a concern when there is a clear you know, conflict of interest involved. However, it's generally better for the industry if there's some transparency around the acquisition, specifically as it relates to how it changes the dynamics of the newly acquired system for plaf or platform. So this is especially true when it comes to information and data management acquisitions because they can have a material impact on the end users. So for example, when Binance acquired CMC and the ranking system was changed in a way that you know, appeared to, to favor the exchange, um, like, you know, web traffic factor, like how, how, how is that even, it just, it's, it's really not a good um, indicator because as we know, it's, it's mobile front crypto. A lot of it happens on the app and for exchanges because of regulations issues and stuff, you have different domains for different country. I'm not saying that certainly that it was intentional, but it just, I, I think that um, if CMC can stay neutral, it's very, very important. And it's, it's definitely going to be a good thing for the industry. So in this specific case, I believe the industry could benefit from a standardized ranking system, but it would need to be governed by an independent organization 
with no ties to exchanges when they are our ranking exchanges and exchanges should be able to share their input and make a case for for you know their approach to ranking like we talked about um you know fund under management asset under management is definitely a good way for for ranking exchanges and many more but the final decision should be made by a, a you know um independent sort of party so there is a lot of data that's that's mined by companies or already publicly available so we have to be careful in the way that data is analyzed and used and data can be manipulated to benefit or harm um, and it can offer a, a facet of, of, of transparency that's why we need a um, governance of data so as exchanges grow and digital assets become a, a mainstay of the new economy They'll, they'll be more closely regulated, which means that um, there may be more disclosures required or, or limitations enforced in these type of acquisition, um, all, all in the interest of users. And my belief is that anything that's good for users is also good for the entire industry. Okay, uh, measured. Um, I, I think I've seen kind of a, some of your previous, previous uh, interviews, maybe you've talked about uh, kind of predictions for the exchange space specifically, um, kind of how that plays out over the next couple of years, maybe a tougher environment for smaller exchanges. Um, we might see some M&A there. How are y'all thinking about M&A on the exchange side? Uh, acquiring smaller exchanges, is that on the radar? How do you think about that? Yeah, so speaking of smaller exchanges, anyone can can start an exchange these days, but it's incredibly hard to scale and uh, to do it in the right way, especially when it you know, relates to these two factors, liquidity and security, you know, regulatory compliance and stuff. That's why I still believe that we're going to see higher M&A activities in this space over the next year or two. Not only is this good for traders since the overall qualities of options available, to them goes up but also is great for the crypto um, industry overall at large and some of the smaller you know fly by night changes give the industry a bad reputation whether it's because of you know frequent security incidents outstages or liquidity problems no consolidation will bring more credibility to exchanges and exciting for will be because m a is only you know, it's one of the ways that we can enter markets. And being that regulatory compliance is very central of our business model, it's very crucial um, that we secure all the proper licenses and approvals before we enter a new market. So more often than, than not that, you know, this can be quite a, a, a long process, but we're willing to on the market, it can be you know, more efficient if we acquire a local exchange that already meets all of the regulatory requirements, uh, which you know, includes all the necessary licenses with local financial agencies and government offices. Uh, and we still invest a lot of time and resources for due diligence to ensure that we find the right exchange for this. But this M&A road you know, will help us get to the new markets much quicker than starting from scratch. Because you know, entering into a market is so much more than offering a, a services, just uh, your products in a different language. You have to understand their needs and understand their trading behavior and understand how, how local economy works and how local people, you know, the community works. You have to be in there and have the roots there and um, have a localized team there to understand your customer community to offer them the right 
um, services. So when looking at an M&A, it's not just the licenses that are more important to us. We also access the team. You know, team is really important and their track record. Since we will lean on their ex expertise as we localize our product services for the given market. And it's very important to provide a continuity in the quality of experiences users have to expect from Hobi brand. So we don't take M&As lightly. So that said, we are constantly searching for potential acquisitions target as our part of low, you know, larger global expansion strategy and we serve users all across the globe, but there are still many markets we want to, you know, um, we want to enter in a fully compliant way. So this is an ongoing search. Yeah, for sure. Any, any uh, more color on kind of countries that you're interested in entering um, and are just trying to figure out the best way to do it? I don't want to share too much on, on uh, strategy stuff, but. Yeah, so uh, you know, India, India is always always an interesting market, you know, with mm -hmm. larger population, and um, um, and uh, you know, there the, um, the regulations coming out and rules coming out with crypto, and we we always you know curious to find out what's gonna be next for India. And uh, Korea is a market that we we we've been around for for a few years, and with Hobby Korea, and always uh, trying to top the market there. And uh, UK, uh, where we see a lot of you know institutional uh, traders there, and uh, um, South uh, South South, South uh, uh, America, um, you know a lot, a lot of the places. Um, yeah, just hope this whole pandemic is going to be over soon, so I can you know fly around again and see local markets. <laughs> Go wheels and up to our partners. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. How important is, how important is, uh, is it to, I mean, how, how has the, I guess, kind of, uh, we're on zoom now, how, how is like the video conferencing stuff worked at Wobi for such a distributed company and, uh, has it slowed you down in terms of, um, obviously meeting people in person in other countries? How has that affected, I guess, your, uh, your work? Yeah. So, um, our crypto and blockchain company, we're already like quite, uh, you, you know, like used to new technologies and we're like really decentralized. Um, the team that I manage are in a lot of different countries. So we're, we're quite, you know, familiar with Zoom calls and stuff, but it just, um, with, with partners and especially with institutions, um, I think face-to-face -face interaction is still very, very important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, well, like I said, really hope this pandemic is over and yeah, and especially you need to go to those countries and to feel um, the community there. It's 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 just something that can't be replaced. Yeah, I agree. Uh, uh, one one thing that's also been inter interesting to see at Hobi, um, you know, I guess the kind of founding team, some of that group from seven years back, um, hasn't been as you know they've um, they're well known in China, but they haven't been as public facing uh, to the West. Uh, and it seems like you've, you're kind of taking more of a public-facing uh, role um, in the last year. Can you talk a little bit, a little bit about that? Um, some of the strategy around that, how you're uh, thinking about, I guess, being more public as a company. Yeah. So branding is especially important in crypto because it's an industry where trust is very crucial, um, especially being exchanged. People have to trust you in order for them to to deposit assets into exchange and trust you with, with, with um, holding their assets for trading. So through um, the Hobi brand, we want to continue strengthening our position as a secure and reliable 
platform that's trusted by millions of our users globally. So we want will be to be trusted. We plan to accomplish this by expanding on much of what we already do, bring transparency, professionalism through the product and services we provide to user. So there are um, too many crypto companies that build their brand, you know, around you know questionable market, marketing techniques, and we want to be the opposite of that. Of that, prior to my joining, Wobi hasn't done much branding in the Western market, but my goal is to change that. And Wobi is one of the most recognizable names in the Asia Pacific region. But as we continue expanding internationally, we plan to build Wobi into a globally recognized brand. And there's still a lot of work to be done for growing the brand and um, share our voices and share our vision and share that we want to make things right and we want to listen to the community's voices in the western market is a priority for us so i've been you know putting a lot of time um and uh, you know on twitter and on ta talking to um, our users community and being attending all of the conferences that's available online and taking interviews <laughs> just to just so that you know, our users around the world can know who's actually um, working at this exchange, who's actually be leading global markets, and um, who are we dealing with. And I think that's very important. For sure, I'm taking a Friday night here, so uh, practicing what you preach. For sure. <laughs> um, the uh, the last thing, just a fun one. Thanks, thanks for laying out all that. I think it was uh, a lot of uh, good context and good kind of detail around how we'll be's. Um, you know, thinking about the future and, and thinking about growth around the world. Um, last one though, uh, a recommendation. So we close out with a recommendation, it can be food, culture, uh, just something related to, uh, I guess, Beijing, where you are now, or if you want to, I guess, Bloomington would be an interesting one too. <laughs> I, I didn't hear the question. Uh, so, uh, Sorry. Sure. so we, we uh, close out with a recommendation. Uh, it can be something that's uh, cultural, it can be a restaurant in Beijing, it can be a book, uh, just something, a recommendation from you for maybe someone who uh, will be in Beijing in the future uh, and is looking for a good recommendation from, um, from Tiara. Um, well, lots of recommendations in Beijing. Hmm. Well, try to avoid, avoid um, traffic time. For sure, it's gonna save your life. I think that's probably and, the most uh, valuable recommendation you can um, get. Avoid, uh, avoid the rush hour. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, and a uh, lot of uh, good restaurants and bars in uh, Sanitun. Sanitun. That's uh, just just tell your 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 taxi driver that name and uh, just uh, go there and you can find everything. Um, and a book. I really like the book when when breath becomes air. Um, I cry every time uh, when I read it, and um, I, I I often read books on my flight. And sometimes it really just uh, scares, <laughs> you know, yeah, the crew members. Bet, yeah, <laughs> um, when I just uh, keep crying, keep crying. It, it's it's a it's a good book, and it's uh, easy to read too. Um, and well, my final recommendation would be spending more time with your cats <laughs> all right good stuff just very it, on it, brand yeah, uh, final recommendation. <laughs> good stuff spend more time yeah. with your cats stay out of rush hour and uh read books that make you think and feel uh maybe not on airplanes always but yeah but, uh, good advice well thanks <laughs> thanks for your time uh really appreciate it
reminder, all of the content in this episode is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any such information or other material as legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer by BTC Media, the Let's Talk Bitcoin Podcast Network, or any third-party service provider to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments. Mm-hmm.